Okay, I will switch to this slide. Um, so this reflects the database of uh, 15 baskets. But the problem is that uh, the first five are identical, containing all uh, 10 first items. The second five contain all the 10 next items. And the third one containing all the next one. If we set now the threshold minimum support threshold as 30%, one third, then the problem is that, and this is something that we have to calculate, study how this number, how many possible frequent item sets with frequency uh, one third there exists. So try to argue, uh, and, and observe, um, count the number, uh, 
what, what should it be in this case? I haven't done the calculations. So count the number, how many there is that have this minimum support requirement, 30, well, one third, at least five rows. And when I come back, you have the precise answer. on the blackboard. What are the different combinations of, of a set, subsets? How many different 
subsets the release if you have A, B, C, D. You have the subsets where A is present and subsets where A is missing. You have the subsets where B is present, 1, 1, or 1, 0. And likewise in here, when A is missing, B is present or missing. Come on, you can fill in this table. Uh, so all these are ones, um, etc. So basically you have, for one element is present or not, you have two choices, for two you have two times more, two times more, etc. It's two to the power of five. Every, every bit can be present or not, five bits, two to the power of five. How complicated is that? Sorry? It's four. Oh, A, B, C, D, because I missed the last one. <laughs> 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 two to the power of five. In here it's two to the power of ten. How much how much is that? Come on. You have to know that out. Straight. Exactly. Who did not know the answer? This is something you have to know. Kilo. Yeah. 1024. So you can make 1024 combinations of subsets in here, in here, in there. 3072, and something is missing there. All empty occurs only once, not three times. 1072 minus to 1070 might be correct. Uh, does anybody have the calculator where you can do this? Yes. I got the 3070. Sorry? I got the 3069 part. 69. Yeah, I okay. just want from Alpha. Yeah, okay, because, uh, because there is uh, something that. Uh, uh, this is for, for at least one present, right? The option that is all empty, not, nothing is present, is not in here. So you subtract that and you have 3069. So it's not complicated to calculate. If, even if the formula can look scary, you have to think what is behind the formula. But the problem is that all of these 3069 have exactly the same support count 5. And all the 1023 that is going to combine from this block is, uh, they are equal. They have exactly the same support. They don't give you anything, uh, any extra information. It's just a combinatorial explosion. And this is with the 10 elements. When you have 20, you have uh, 2 to the power of 20. You have 1 million. So imagine doing this uh, uh, in the larger data, uh, databases. The combinatorial explosion is going to kill your, uh, most of your algorithms that try to enumerate everything. So, uh, the number is too large, 
Uh, we need to do something about that. And let's see some, some observations. So, if you think of the null empty set that occurs everywhere, singletons are frequent, uh, two item sets are rather frequent, and the more you add, the less frequent they become, right? But we set the threshold of some frequency, and if this satisfies the uh, frequency threshold, but none of its children does, then it's on the border. This is the last one that is frequent, and these are less frequent, right? Somehow what we would like to get in this lattice is to identify quicker the ones that are maximally frequent in here. That none of its supersets is frequent anymore because we add element, but that means that we reduce the frequency, right? We add another constraint, we reduce frequency. So ideally, we would like to identify this maximal largest possible frequent item set. In here, the largest possible frequent item set would be all of these present. Right? You can't make it any larger, and any subset has exactly the same frequency. So the, the maximal frequent is all of these present at one given any given time, and any subset of them, uh, any subset of them is in the tree. Uh, having exactly the same frequency. So, uh, on this combinatorial uh, lattice, uh, we would like to somehow identify the, the maximal uh, largest sets that are satisfying our criteria because anything that is above there must be even more frequent, or at least the same frequency. So, if you look at this example, Five transactions, A, B, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, A, B, C. What we will observe is whenever A is present, B is present. A, B, A, B, A, B all come together. So it's kind of A, C, D rule is kind of not so interesting because whenever there was A, we know that there would also be B. So A, C, D instead of this, actually A, B, C, D is more meaningful and that must have exactly the same support. ACB is in here, ACB is in there, and in both cases B is present. So the a priori algorithm started from singletons, uh, made the candidates for, for two element sets, and then counted frequencies, or actual frequencies of the two element sets, then made the candidates for three elements, uh, counted the actual support counts, and then based on these, uh, three element sets, one four element set candidate can be uh, made, and the actual frequency copied from the database. Uh, so the a priori would go uh, first this row, then this row, then this row, but not all of them because that it can grow very fast. Uh, but those, only those that have predicted. Uh, that could be potentially uh, more frequent. So these are our candidates. So uh, this reflects uh, A is present in one, two, and four. So we counting every row where A is present. B in every row where B is present. One, two, and three. So we can 
actually, in the first pass, we will count on which rows everything is present. And when you go down the lattice, you can observe that AC, 1, 2, 4, uh, here also 1, 2, 4, the support remains the same. Uh, therefore, it must be exactly the same rows. We didn't drop any row, right? But if we add E to a AE, then suddenly we have support count to one, and this is on the row four. So adding E to A uh, reduces the frequency, adding C does not. So these are the kind of, in this case, transaction IDs, just showing which transactions correspond to which, and number of counts is just, this has support three, uh, present in rows one, two, and three. And based on these numbers, we can uh, define uh, two categories, closed uh, item set is closed is something where whenever you add extra uh, demands, the frequency will drop. So none of the children of this node has the same support count three. For BC, ABC has support count uh, two, uh, BCD has support count only one, and BCE has support count one. ABC, DE, we have all the three cases covered, and this is now by definition closed. So this is the largest that you can go down on that path. This is closed, but this is not uh, maximal in this case. Maximal is one that is on the border if support threshold was three, uh, or uh, two in this case, uh, minimum support is uh, two, then this is closed because none of the children will have support two anymore, it will be just one or zero, but this is uh, still above the threshold, so this is on the border, this is uh, maximal closed item set. So now we have a huge lattice but by marking only one, two, three, four sets, we have identified everything that is frequent, and what is frequent, nothing below those is frequent anymore, but everything above those, any path towards from here to the root, or from here to root, from here to root, any of these rules will be above the minimum support threshold. So on the large either on the large uh, uh, on the large set of all uh, item sets that are frequent, there are there is a small subset that is maximal frequent item sets which are on the border, and then there are a subset that is close frequent item sets which are these gray nodes in here. So when you demand something more, then the frequency will drop. So closed. Uh, Subset of frequent item sets is closed, and subset of those is called maximum. So in a way, the algorithms that have to identify these uh, frequent item sets somehow have to identify this border where the frequent ones are above and the non-frequent ones are below. And it's sufficient to identify by only a small subset of these uh, item sets. So that may help uh, making bringing down some of the 
complexity of the search algorithm. The items, uh, this item set lattice or subset lattice, this will be huge, right? If we have 1,000, well, sorry, if we have 10, then we have uh, the number of all item sets would be 1,024. So, uh, and this has 10 layers from 0 to 10, 11 layers, and the middle ones are quite broad. So, what we can do is we can try to find the border by starting from empty and start adding elements a priori meant the first layer, the second layer, the third layer, uh, but we can start from top, uh, start adding, and try to push the frequency um, down, try to observe where the border is. You can, we can do the opposite, we can start from everything and then start moving up, but uh, sort of like, this is uh, from general, this is the most general, this is most specific, or top down in here on this picture, so we can move from there, or we can move from here, or we can do something that uh, is bi-directional, tries to move both ways on this lattice. So these are now the search strategies on top of this lattice tree. So a lot of thought has been put in how to, how to make the algorithms uh, sort of faster in this sense. And I will show some examples um, how, to, how to do it. The lattice is just to organize thinking. It's not that we have to make it explicitly present in data structure. Right? It's just an abstract search space. And uh, what we can, well, if this is abstract search space, then in a way you can do uh, different uh, search trees on top of that. Uh, every item set that has A is under this node. Uh, all item sets containing A are under this node. Now we have covered everything that has A, only the ones that, uh, well, that do not have A are now on the, on the right. So now look at the fix the B. So you can do depth first search for A, B, A, 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 B, A, B, C, A, B, C, B, then backtrack, A, B, A, B, B. So you can start doing the three paths uh, over this, uh, this lattice graph. Uh, or vice versa, so the ones that, uh, uh, that contain D, so basically you can do prefixes, enumerate all the prefixes of the sets, or do the suffixes, ends with D, what are the subsets that end with D, oh, these are these subsets. So again, just, you can come up with the different search strategies. You can do a normal graph search that goes breadth first, the first layer, the second layer, so sort of like, as wide as possible, or you can move uh, depth first search over this graph. Um, uh, raise hands who attended algorithmics class in fall. Okay, so all the rest of you who don't know how to do breadth first, step first, you ask from them. But I'm sure that you must know those uh, algorithms. Okay, uh, some examples. Uh, the database of transactions doesn't need to be like, like organized like that. We, we can actually 
So if different, so this is the transactions and the item sets. We can do different type of organization of the database and enumerate, for example, A is present in rows of transactions one to four. This is like index vector. A is present on these on rows here. So this is like database index on A, database index on B, database index on C. E is present in rows one, uh, three, and six. And these are the only ones where E is present. So the, the how to organize the data, uh, you can organize it in different ways. Uh, horizontally or vertically, for example. Um, Okay, the, the vertical uh, the, the vertical is something that uh, the slide comes later, but for example, what is now possible to do is uh, start doing something like when do we have C and D present? And you can have two lists, two, two present, three, four, four, four present, five, eight, nine, nine. So you can do one merge through the two lists and you can do CD is present on rows 2 and 4. So you can, we can start uh, doing the, the mergers, be them uh, bitwise index or be the lists that just have to go through the lists. So uh, one idea that was uh, put forward to uh, reduce the complexity of some of these uh, problems that I just uh, uh, discussed is something that is FP growth or using FP frequent pattern tree. Um, so frequent pattern tree growth uh, tries to organize the data in the tree manner so that uh, to avoid as much of, uh, of uh, replicates as possible and make the mining more memory efficient. Uh, so, why do we this? Uh, why do we need this instead of a priori? Is because because when, we, when there are lots of frequent patterns, then a priori uh, breaks down on the memory consumption. And when you have a long frequent pattern, to get into long frequent pattern, any subset of that frequent pattern must have been frequent, right? And that's again when a priori would have broken down long before. If you have 20 long patterns, that means any subset of that 20 long pattern, more than a million of them, have also been frequent. So, what does MP3 growth uh, algorithm do? It uh, organizes the data as, as we have, transactions, but now adding all the transactions into the tree uh, data structure as follows, AD makes a prefix, tree, it's like a uh, like the try data structure for text indexing. AD, when we take the next one, BCD, uh, from the top, this path goes down with A, we do BCD. But now both observe, both have actually B present, right? AB, BCD. So we want to, we better link the B's together. So if it asks how frequent is B, somehow we will be able to have the pointer to here and go through the pointer to the next part that has B. On this part, there has been a single item set that contains B. 
on this part there has been one. So two transactions have contained B after insertion of true transactions. Uh, add more AB, uh, BCB, next one ACBE. So basically, one by one, inserting them into the tree structure. And what we have now at the end, after 10 transactions inserted, we have this data structure. Uh, we have this data structure where eight transactions have contained eight. And because this is alphabetically ordered, this is important. This has been alphabetically ordered now. Yeah. Alphabetically ordered, uh, so all A's are under this subgroup. A, A was there eight times, but if we count now how frequent was B, then we can make a linkage here. You observe that this part had once B, one item set had B. So one, two, three, four, five. Five transactions had B. If you want C, three, four, five, six. Six transactions had C. So this uh, data is just put in this tree-like structure with a couple of additional links. And in principle, now from here, it's possible to read out every possible item set that was there uh, and what was the count. So if, if we can if we can insert data in this manner, uh, we can compress the data representation by making sure that the frequent item sets are so frequent items are on the top of the tree, and then only once we represented A and say that eight contained A. Yeah. We, we we do a little bit of compression on the original data. The goal is to keep, to make the ordering where the most frequent items are alphabetically first. If we use the same transactions but different order, uh, different item uh, ordering scheme, this is E, B, C, B, A, exactly the reverse alphabetic ordering, we get different structures. We have the same information. A is present 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 times. But now this is at the least. Exactly, exactly the same tree just has different ordering of elements. So the point is that to make a compact tree, we better order them by, by frequency. We, for every individual item, we count the frequency. We make the ordering that follows that frequency, and then we have most frequent items closer to the top, and we save the most because we represent them only once. It's not 100%, you can make uh, some counterexamples, but roughly, in most of the cases, it works. Uh, allows to make more compact, uh, epic uh, growth tree. Uh, I will try to give that, we are going into that, how to use this tree. So this is the, this is the tree. Now to, okay, let, let me try to improvise in here. Uh, you, you wanted to have B and D. 
So what happens is that we request B to be there, right? And this is this, 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 this. Yeah. Now, if you require B and D, B has to be present, then only the paths going up from those nodes may contain B. So this part cannot have be B because B was present only in here. So we somehow uh, limit our view of this tree uh, bottom up. So B and we only traverse up from here, B, we do a sort of projection of the tree of B and D, and it ends up that this path has B and D. So in order to go through this D, twice we have also D. Yeah? On this path, you can observe that there was a D that had frequency 3, but actually B, B has been only twice. Yeah? So uh, twice, three times, because this is also BD. Now we've got, got both BC. One, two, this does not have, and this does not have. Twice is B and D. B and D, and then we see, oh, it doesn't show which, uh, it's just counts in here. B and D should be present only twice, once. Oh, uh, BD, oh, sorry, I, I was missing this one. So, uh, two and three. BD once, BD twice, BD thrice. So we, we, we make the tree, and then once we have that tree, that represents all the information, and then on top of this, we start doing projections and trying to work with this tree. So uh, this, is the, this is the final data structure. You insert everything in the data structure. You just make data pointers. C starts from here, and C is present three, four, uh, seven times. So, and these pointers are used so that we can actually do the frequent latency generation. So, we can take this larger tree and then now do these projections. If you only look at the E's, then we only care about these three paths leading to uh, three cases where E is present. <coughs> In a way, on top of this tree, only this, this, and this part are relevant. So we sort of implicitly do this projection, only look at this sub-view of the tree. The ones that contain D uh, generate this sub-tree. C is gener generates this sub-tree. Uh, in this one, and A is only, only this sub-tree. So now we can sort of like uh, start doing some sort of calculations. Uh, finally, every subset that ends with A, and this is the only one that ends with A, because we have alphanumeric ordering, the most frequent ones are to the, to the right. So if it ends with A, that means there only can be this single element. But if we say that ends with B and contains A, then we have BA five times present. So pass ending in E, this conditional tree is actually uh, what is uh, important in here. The uh, E, oh, we have this, uh, we look at everything that e, uh, contains E, and now if you want ED, 
this makes it even smaller uh, look of this tree. So we can sort of start going through. Uh, let's see. It's possible to sort of like start uh, enumerating everything that ends with E, how many there are, everything that ends with uh, D, with C, with B, uh, and then count every possible subset. Um, remember, E was the least frequent, so that was towards the leaves, so it finishes with E. And then we have class finishes with B. We have less smaller tree finishes with uh, B. We have smaller tree. So basically, we work through the tree uh, doing different projections. Condition of what B be present, then you can uh, fix a look at this uh, subpart. And uh, in this manner, you can enumerate everything that finishes with B, all these subsets. With a B, with a C, B, and A. So basically, enumerate every possible subset uh, on top of this FB uh, growth tree. So if we uh, set the numerator, well, this was this recursive sort of like A, AB, ABC, ABCD, ABCD. Um, This is how we sort of should uh, kind of go through the lattice, but we, we have the freedom to look at starting from those that finish with E. We have these ones in here. So virtually we can go through the tree and enumerate everything that is, uh, that is uh, uh, frequent. So the items are listed in lexicographic order, and we should, we should rename them so that the most frequent is first. Um, and then we have all the extensions for certain node B. Uh, what are the next elements? And we, we, we have these uh, pointers that allow to look at the parts up towards the root and uh, uh, where my element is present on the tree. And everyone is a different path, and then you can look up the paths. And then you can represent data about, uh, about where which transactions contain which item sets as, for example, as big vectors or lists uh, the different uh, transactions that have that, uh, that element. So we have the database. If we fix A, then we have all these other sort of A present, then we have all the other choices. In, uh, in here, there is no A, so this becomes empty. So this is what this projected database sort of looks like. And this is something that we can do on top of this FP tree. We don't need to do this implicitly in here. And uh, the B vector layout may be useful because then we know where B is present. And then it may require some other element to be present. And you just do the merger of the two lists. And you have and operation between the two lists or merge operation, if it's bit vector, then you just do bitwise and. If it's uh, list, you do sort of merge, like in the merge sort, because they are in order. And you have one, five, seven, and eight. So this is the result. And this is something that you can do quite fast. So we 
can traverse the tree top down, bottom up, hybrid. We can do fast hunting uh, using these bit operations. Uh, but still, some of these transaction ID lists may become uh, quite large uh, in memory. Okay, so that was the one way to try to, to reduce the complexity of counting different subsets, try to put them in this uh, lexicographically oriented tree so that you can start from that tree uh, calculating all the subsets which are present and getting how frequent they are. And if you have these present uh, lists, then you can do mergers to actually look up which rows contain all the needed elements. So far, so good. Uh, but we wanted to do a substantial group, not just frequent items. So if A, B, C, D is observed frequent, then we have still a large number of different association rules that contain A, B, C, D. Because you can be on the left right side or on the right side of the rule. So this is the choice that for every element it can be on the left or right or not present at all. If we need all of these to be present, then it's only left or right, therefore 2 to the power of k minus 2 candidates eliminate the empty and empty to this. But uh, in general, subsets, every subset uh, generates more. So we still need to count uh, the, the, the these interestingness measures of the, of the, of the how strong this rule would be by uh, confidence in your case. You have, you have studied confidence, right? For each rule, we may get different confidence level. So the confidence does not have this exactly that monotone property uh, like was uh, like was with, with the When the item says A, B, B, and A, B, C, B, so having items at A, B, B, then A, B, C, B must be less frequent, right? Because we require also C. But the confidence of A, B, C to B does not need to be only smaller or larger. Well, it, it will be either larger or smaller than A, B to B. So the C can have the effect that it can make this rule to have higher confidence or even lower confidence. So the results, the same exact, the same uh, monotonically decreasing frequency. But there is a there is one property, however, which is this monoton. It's if we have all these A, B, C, B present in the rule, uh, A, B, C implies B, then what happens when we start moving something from left to the right? So the confidence of this has to be larger than confidence of AB to CD, A to BCD. And why is that? Because the tokens of ABC get blessed with AB are getting higher, higher, and higher. Yeah. What was the what was the confidence? Confidence was the support of this or ABCD. 
the support of the left-hand side. All the rows that contain ABC, so we compare the, the frequency of ABCD over ABC, right? A frequency of ABCD over AB. Frequency of ABCD over A. And the support for A will be larger than support for AB. Yeah. We divide by the support of A. We have always the same number on top. The support count for ABCD divided by the support count for A, AB, ABC. So this is smaller than the confidence would be larger. So uh, trying to put this on the same kind of lattice idea, so from ABCD follows empty, so we, when we start moving things from the left to the right, then the confidence is higher. These have the lowest confidence. So the higher confidence ones are these, and then when we move down, the confidences will be dropping on the, on the top. So also for rule generation, once you have ABCD frequent, uh, then we can still make the, the more confidence rules must be on top of this lattice. And if you know that this confidence is already low, then none of the children or descendants can, be, uh, high, can have high confidence anymore. So again, we can uh, look top down and eliminate large part of the search space. And again, sort of like uh, these are the early day algorithms, uh, a priori like thinking. So let's make the, 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 the candidates uh, CD follows AB, BD follows A, uh, how, how is this? These remains on the left, ABC will be on the right. So you can merge, join these, and make a new rule. And then uh, we can prove this if. If uh, A, B, so this is A, B, yeah, these are the pairwise ones. If, if one of those was not confident, this cannot be uh, high confidence uh, either. So the typical methods produce the frequent item sets first, and then produce the frequent item sets, and then, uh, then uh, discover the rules based on those frequent sets. Uh, okay, so seems everything seems fine so far, right? But you are not questioning, why do we do this? And this is not the real life. And, and let's look at some of the complexities which are there. First of all, when you go to the supermarket, then almost everybody buys milk. Or many, many people buy milk. But coconut milk may be very few. How would you discover the, some rules that would have so high frequencies and so low frequencies mixed? Uh, so the actual distributions are really such that there are popular products and there is, there is a very long, very long tail of very infrequent products. So if we set threshold high, 500, we will never look anything, uh, anything in here. Right? 
because the individual supports already are less than 500. So the minimum support threshold is just cuts everything only to the most frequent uh, elements, and then it kind of may become boring. Maybe more interesting rules are such that you have a very specific case for very specific Certain, certain alcoholic drinks, so sort of whiskey, if you, or sort of wine, very, if you have very specific taste for wine, and then you consume lots of higher expensive products in the more, uh, more frequent end as well. Uh, so it's not quite clear uh, how, how to predict. So the, the minimum single support threshold may be not so effective. That's, that's what it is. If you just put the threshold in here, uh, maybe for some product you, sh you should put the fre uh, frequency lower, right? So the, the minimum support might be something that you are uh, requiring minimum support for milk to be 5%, minimum, percent, uh, well, minimum support for salmon only half percent or broccoli. Uh, many people hate broccoli, so less than 0.1%. So it, it might be possible to make some rule mining by setting different thresholds for different uh, products. You don't know you, you don't know anybody who hates broccoli. Or you don't know anybody who loves broccoli. <laughs> but with these different thresholds, the problems will be that the, the, the supports will not be uh, they will not be anti-monotony uh, for well, what's the example? Milk and coke is 1.5%, milk and coke broccoli is 0.5%, but 0.5% we, we were interested in because minimum support for broccoli should at least 0.1%, so we are interested in the case that broccoli is uh, over 0.1%. Support is no longer anti-monotone. What does it mean? Uh, <laughs> so the, the support is dropping, however, because we added properly. But, uh, oh, the problem is now that milk and coke, by our definition, milk and coke is not interesting because we said the threshold for milk 5%, coke 3%. If the joint rule is 1.5%, then why would I print it in here? Yeah. But this one was interesting because we were, we were interested in a properly case that was about 0.1%. So if this, if this we declare not interesting, but we would like to observe this one, how do we go through this layer adding this one? And this suddenly becomes interesting rule. By these thresholds, we should not report this rule because this is too infrequent, but this one we should report because somehow we brought in the less frequent item. So we are generating lots of troubles to ourselves and uh, to software programmers uh, how to find these rules. So multiple minimum supports might have something there uh, to follow different support uh, rules and then how to traverse the, the lattice uh, becomes slightly more complicated. So which ones we do eliminate or which ones we do keep Okay, so 
result of this a priori the classic algorithm uh, so in traditional one we go one layer deeper we add one element and then we prune But we might uh, start pruning, uh, doing pruning in different ways uh, in here. Maybe we reorder the elements uh, somehow um, and try to try to come up with the ways to accommodate these different minimum support thresholds. Okay, we are going to switch topics uh, here a little bit. Whatever you do, you try to set threshold. And you ask everything that is about that threshold. You set the confidence, you get everything that is about the threshold. You start with very high rules, you get very few, right? But then you lower the thresholds a little bit. You don't even know where the right threshold should be. The problem is going to be that there will be combinatorial explosion. Suddenly you get too much of everything. You put a low threshold, many things satisfy that. Yet when you start uh, looking at that data, what do you do if you, if you suddenly have 100,000 rules? Google has 100,000 answers to your query, almost always, right? You want to have the first page to really talk to you that this is interesting, this is relevant, this is most, uh, most relevant to me. And just having high confidence, like, 100% predictions, sometimes relevant, sometimes not. Especially when you have some things that are called in pairs. Um, maybe there are bundles, then you get large uh, number of uh, rules that are caught in bundles anyway. Um, you're too young to remember that in order to get a sugar, you have to buy, you get a bundle with uh, some book written by some famous author uh, called Prejen. <laughs> so, yeah. Birthplace, you got some joint things where you had to buy it. Get. You want to have this, but you also have to buy this. So when we, we when we put all of this in the in the in the in the perspective. So we started to work with the data, with pre-process, we made some cleanup, we, we, have, we came up with the clean versions of the item sets, or whatever analysis steps we do. Uh, now we were in this kind of uh, mining step. We can mine you any uh, interesting uh, association pool. So this is not enough to give to that, uh, to write into the book of knowledge. You need, we still need some post-processing. Because there will be lots of redundancy, lots of uh, repetition, lots of, uh, oh, of course, I already knew that, therefore this one is not interesting anymore. So there is a lot of post-processing that has to go into the, into the finalizing the results. Um, and in each of these steps, we somehow have to be able to define what has to go through to the next step. Some sort of some sort of measures for interestingness or value uh, in each step. Uh, so only the valuable things are put forward. How do we know out of so many things uh, what is valuable by nature or what is valuable by just coincidence? 
how do we beat the random coincidences? If you try hard enough, you will find coincidences always. In this group, two of you will share the birthday, birthday parallel. There's more than 26 in here, two of you will have birthday on the same day. I don't know which pair, but you will have. I can bet five quid on that. <laughs> uh, people are extraordinarily good at trying to trying to find uh, some patterns in in data, even if the data is very random. People are extraordinarily good at, at finding some high level kind of big plans, and there is the grand master plan, the, the path of the rows. These are the ley lines. So uh, settling in Britain and building the castles. Uh, oh, this is so well planned. Straight on the line, all these cities. This is a uh, the ley line. The, the line of the roads would go from north to south through Louvre. You have seen the movie, right? So so things are on the same uh, same lines. Is this Interesting? It is. I have to convince you that this is uh, boring because it's there because somebody wanted to. This is the Woolworths uh, supermarkets in uh, where some city of uh, <laughs> some city of whatever that uh, Liverpool, Manchester. So how they cover Britain. This is well planned, whatever the shape is. Um, this is the set of 137 random points, and this shows 84 points perfect alignment. These are random points, uh, and you get, if you ask, are there any that are four on the same line? And there are eight in random data. Bible contains all the secret messages. <laughs> so if you take the Bible and you observe b, e, b, u, e, o, u, you get all the names of all the saints, all the names of everything. So Bible has all kinds of hidden messages in the text. Can you do it the same thing with everything? Has it become like compared to you do the statistics, you do the project plan, and try to find code. Yeah. Predict future. <laughs> you, you observe that World War II, that was predicted already in this 2,000 years ago, right? So yeah. everything has been predicted. So when you have that, then you can go back and say, oh yeah, it was in, in the data. <laughs> but now tell me, what, is, what else is in it? What's, your, what's going to be your grade? Your name followed by grade. It's there. Take large enough books, it's there. So that's from where I take the grade. So how to tell what is what is there by chance, how to tell what is what is what is relevant, what has has meaning. 
if it's really hard, hard enough, we, we were generating millions of frequent items and millions of rules. Come on, some of those will be frequent by some random chance, some of those will have high competence by random chance, so we just try so hard. So we, uh, this is what statistics is uh, a lot about, actually, that trying to figure out how to tell the, the random from the, from the true signal. So this may, this may now, uh, uh, okay, let, let's see how boring I can be. Um, so this, uh, these Viper beer look uh, type uh, rules, Viper spread uh, by also beer. So 300 uh, on the left, well basically, if this is present 400 times and the right hand, uh, uh, sorry, both of these, all three are present 300 times. Left hand side alone is 400 times, and confidence is uh, three quarters. But this confidence by some, uh, well, this is one measure we say that confidence, yes, but is it surprising and how, what kind of confidences we can get? So let's, uh, now we are going to do this, uh, there, is, uh, there is a small life, big guys, and then there's statistics. Right? So let's look at some of the cases where statistics would fail. Um, but if we want to really uh, analyze data, then we have to have some sort of objective measures of this interestingness or relevance, right? So we are, we are trying to look, what are the statistical measures that help us in this? Or we could apply some uh, visualizations, or of course, if you have the large database of uh, rules, then you could say, okay, give me the rules related to broccoli and something, right? Or my brand versus some other brand. Are the, uh, uh, are the people brand loyal or not? You can make, have out of the database, you can make still specific queries, look at certain types of patterns, right? Make some templates and then uh, look at those. Or, Part of that is uh, your domain, your background information, some concept hierarchies. You can you can figure out ways how to deal with that large number of of, uh, of rules. Maybe you add profit margins on different rules. But it all kind of boils down to, in this case, what we really have is uh, something that we need to work with a two by two contingency table. And you're asked to do these uh, contingency tables by yourself uh, for the next homework. So contingency tables where we know that diapers and milk have been bought 400 times and 3,000 times uh, they have not been bought. The database is 3,400, 3,400 altogether, out of which 400 times was diaper and milk. Out of the 400 times when diaper and milk was bought, 300 bought beer. And 100 did not buy milk. So this is now the frequency of diaper milk follows beer. So the, the three, all three have been 300 times. And out of all the cases where diapers of milk were bought, 400. So the confidence is 300 over 400, right? That's what we look at. But if we want to say something about beer and not beer, what are the cases when the two were not bought? What are all the other cases? 
all the 300 and 3,000 in there. 1,000 times people hit by bear, 2,000 times not. So it seems that in here, the bear is more frequent, 100, 300, 2,000, 1,000. So in here it seems that the bear is actually more frequent to bought when you buy diapers and milk. But our reference point could be could be this pair of numbers, right? So do, does the beer buying get more frequent in this row than this or not? So we, in a way, we can describe the entire database by four numbers, these four numbers. Both, well, this and this, uh, this and not that, well, basically this and not. So these four numbers give the column margins, row margins, and the total database size. Just four numbers that give you all the counts for what we need. And we call these, uh, uh, we put these two by two tables, basically these four numbers, present and not, present and not. So these are, uh, these are is something for x or y, uh, all, the, all the number of times when we have x and y, and then x, not y, not x, y, not x, not y. And, uh, and based on these four number, based on these four numbers plus uh, these calculated values, we can express any any measures that are telling us something about the, the support, confidence in the we should look at the other measures, correlation coefficients, lift, does it improve your sales on that me measure, etc. So the, in the past from the statistics, there have been lots of different measures by which you can analyze this two by two contingency table. So let's uh, look how this can be misleading or, or not misleading. From treating T, we can say that you drink also coffee. You buy, you drink tea, and you, uh, from tea follows to coffee drinking with 75% confidence. Because 15 cases out of 20 who drink tea also drink coffee. High confidence rule, right? The problem is that if you do not drink tea, and there are 80 of such people, 75 of them drink coffee. So actually from not tea to coffee, the confidence is 75 out of 80, much higher, 0.9. Uh, well, sorry, uh, 0.9375 is this confidence. Because coffee alone, coffee drinkers alone are constituting 90% of the population. 90% of the population uh, drinks, uh, in this case, out of 190 drinks coffee. Therefore, even if you drink tea, it's a high chance that you drink coffee. Right? So the probability of coffee already is so high. So actually looking at probability of coffee given tea is lower than probability of coffee alone. Right? 
So this competency is kind of, actually it's not high competency, it's, it tells you the negative, quite opposite, that actually probability of drinking coffee drops if you are a tea drinker. Not by much, but in this case it, it does drop. So confidence is high, but it's high because we have a high marginal confidence and low probability already. What about if you drink tea, you don't drink coffee? Confidence is like uh, 25%. If you don't drink tea... No, if you drink tea, you don't drink coffee. From tea to not coffee is 5 out of 20, it's 25%. Yeah, but can we come to conclusion that usually like it, it's then it's high confidence for in this case isn't it because usually it's 10 percent but in that case it's 25 percent so it's from the 10 it goes to 25. oh okay so it's 10 percent not coffee but if you drink tea then you're more likely to drink coffee than otherwise so it's true yeah, so we can come to that on this case, yes. So, what I'm trying to say is that the four numbers look very innocent, but they are not. You should, you should take it very, very seriously. These four number summaries are not innocent things. A lot of decisions have to be made by the four numbers. Uh, let's make drug trial. So, uh, you get this drug, you do not get this drug. You get ill, you get ill, some of you don't get ill, some of you don't get ill. We have to prove whether the drug worked or not. It's, it's the prediction, right? We have four numbers and we have to make very, very serious decisions. Is it good or bad? What is, what is, the, what is the result? What are the, what are the interpretations? Uh, Uh, some of you swim, some of you know how to bike, most of you do both swim and bike and uh, can do both. Uh, I don't want to ask who doesn't swim or who doesn't uh, know how to uh, ride a bicycle. But in this example, he 600 uh, knows how to swim, 700 knows how to bike, and 420 do both, then if you do both, you would expect 60% and 60% of one type, 70% of the other type, you would expect by random chance that if this is random subsets, that you multiply the probability that, that 0.42, 42%, 420 should do both. So probability of S and B swim and uh, ride a bicycle, maybe in sport weight, is 42%. But this 42% is exactly the same as you would just do by random chance. Take these individual probabilities, multiply, and this is exactly what you would, you would expect. So this is what we call the statistical independence, probability of milk and probability of beer. If both of them are together, it's exactly the same, then it's independent from each other, statistically. If probability of them together is actually larger than you would expect, then there is a positive correlation, and if it's much less, then it's negatively correlated. So we can make uh, some inferences whether these two things are independent 
positively correlated or negatively correlated. Just based on the, these four numbers. We can uh, have these interesting measures where we discuss whether from x follows y, so probability of y given x, how does that relate to the just probability of y? Probability of y given x can be larger than just probability of y. This is a lift, this is upwards lift. If it's less, then it's downwards, so actually requiring x and then asking why we can drink less coffee or more coffee, right? Uh, lift and interest, uh, they're actually, the two formula are exactly the same. So this is condition probability, but condition probability is y given x is probability of x and y together over just x. So if you express this as this divided by that, the mean y remains there. So the two formulas are exactly the same. Or we are interested in the cases when we have both events happen together. So remember, swim and, uh, and uh, bicycle, if we want to do them both together compared to if they would be independent probabilities are multiplied. If this is higher, then if I positive value, this uh, subtraction is, is uh, lower than zero, then it's negative value. If it's zero, then they are independent. And then you can do this and divide by uh, probability of x, one minus probability of x. So this is uh, how, if probability of x is zero, then this would be one, but then entire this, uh, uh, at bottom, they are very different. So this one becomes, all this will become zero. So uh, you can find different ways to come up with ideas. What should I be looking in my rules, and what should I not be looking in my rules? So, if I find a previous uh, table of this wide unsymmetric slide, if I can swim to this one, yeah. the interest will be one, isn't it? So in here, uh, what are the actual counts? Uh, 600, 700, and 420. Actually, this is uh, this this is exactly as you would expect uh, to be. Right? Yeah, interest will be one, but yeah. I'm not sure the same about the lift. Uh, lift and interest are exactly the same formula, just expressed slightly differently because. We are applying this rule. Conditional probability. So, so this, well basically we are, data mining is, is a lot about statistics and probability because we are trying to ask, okay, we observe something, but we need to assess, is this expected? Is this probable from random data? Or is it improbable from random data? Therefore, the data must have been skewed that we observe some real signal, right? That's why we need to have the statistical probability and statistical uh, measures. Conditional probability of x given y is probability of x and y together over probability of y. And vice versa, we just have symmetrically probability of y given x is exactly the same formula, but now you divide not by p y, but p x. 
So this, this is the definition of conditional probability. Both together as opposed to just one of them. Right? So how many times x and y occur together out of those when x occurs? So what is the ratio of y given x? This is something that you have from the from the probability classes. I can make many exercises where you have to do this hard way. But now the tricky is that if you look at this formula, this is just definition of two conditional probabilities for this probability of x given y, for this probability of y given x. And they look pretty similar because they both share on top the same probability of x and y together. And one divided by probability of y, the other divided by probability of x. But we can we can uh, put these formulas together because we have we have this uh, probability of x and y together. From the first formula, we know that this is probability of x given y, what is this? We move probability y there, right? This holds from the first formula. And from the second, this also holds that this is probability of y given x times probability of x. So this equals this equals we we have this equals this, and what is the duty is is we can now do only look at this probability of x given y. This equals of course this one probability of y given x times probability of x divided by this one. So this is the base formula. The base formula is useful because to express conditional probability of x given y, you can calculate it actually from the from the opposite, y given x, and then what is the probability of x and probability of y. And uh, this is this will be probability of uh, Predicting something, um, we want to predict what is the probability of y given uh, x given y, and then we, the Bayes formula is almost like a Raoul Vicente's Ben Alicandi was explaining this really nicely that we, we, we can reverse that. What is observing, we are, we are asking what is the probability given y to observe x, but we can do uh, vice versa when we observe x. What is our belief about the, the y? And then the probabilities of individual cases. So actually, the machine learning Bayes and arguments can be applied to, to make predictions. What is a, uh, our model of the world? Uh, what is the, should be the, the value? And then we, should, uh, we, can, we can do that. Given the value, what is the best model? 
so we can actually come up with the best models. Uh, we can iterate over this formula, and we can do a lot of useful stuff. So just conditional probabilities gives us uh, give us very powerful Bayesian formula that we will be using later in Bayesian uh, argumentation. But back to the back to this uh, this two by two example. In here, we sort of observe that, that we can come up with a different rule. So we can do lift, confidence, sort of support and confidence, and we can look at the lift, 300 out of 400, or overall, in the entire database, uh, not to compare to this one per minute, not to compare this uh, 1,000 out of 300, 3,000, but actually, in the entire database, 1,300 out of 3,400. So here, by looking at only those rows that have macro and milk, then, and then trying to improve there, makes the prediction twi almost twice a better. Lift is 1.96 compared to the entire database. So that's something where you can say, oh, actually, if you, fo if you focus on those who buy diapers and milk, then they are two times more likely to buy beer. Um, so X and Y, uh, uh, X and Y can be different, uh, different uh, uh, probabilities. Uh, events can be one or two outcomes, two or one. So you, so you can count the probabilities. So X equals one is two rows out of six. Uh, four rows out of the six are x equals two, so you can count the, the probabilities. Then you can do the conditional probability. What is the conditional probability of observing y equals one given x equals two? x equals two is these four rows, and and uh, y equals one in one of the four. So conditional probability of y one given x two is one out of four, not out of six, but out of four. And probability of y equals two given x equals two is three out of four. So we can calculate all kinds of uh, uh, probabilities of individual events, the, the conditional probabilities, and uh, and the lift. Probability of y equals two given x x equals two, as compared to just probability of y equals two, and this is six. Something is something must be wrong in there. Six over four. It's, you know, it's, it's three over four. You divide by the calculator reverse. Three over four, and uh, probably y equals two is uh, two. Yeah, three times two is six over four. So the lift in, in this case is actually uh, less than one, and therefore probability of coffee given tea, or just probability of coffee. So as we observed before, so if you drink tea, you are less likely to drink coffee. 
even if coffee drinking is still frequent, 75%. But you're less likely than, than uh, uh, non-tea drinkers. So there is a negative association. There can be problems. Uh, let's, let's look at the problems. Uh, 100 cases, 10, 90, 0, 0, 90, 10. 10% of both or 90% of both. What is the, what does it do to, to the lift? 10% out of 10% uh, times 10%, so basically lift is 10 times more frequent. So everybody in this row will drinks, uh, well, has X and Y, but normally just 10%. Uh, so the lift is 10 times. When you just re reverse the 10, 9 to 90, 10, Suddenly it's 0.9. Everybody is always the same, but the lift has dropped from 10 to 1.11. In principle, we have the, the nice rule x and y 90, so every x has y, so 90 90, but now suddenly this is because we would expect it to be high. So the lift is not so high anymore. So we have a nice, we, we came up with a sort of nice story, but suddenly it boil, uh, uh, breaks down because if we have slightly different value uh, distribution, then the lift is not so high anymore, as if this rule would be weaker. Um, There are these uh, treatment. I, I mentioned the drug, not drug. Um, I said that two by two table is, uh, you should not take them as, uh, as uh, too innocent. So let's look at the drug trial, whom we administer drug and who does not get the drug, who gets the placebo, right? What is, this, what is the number that recovered? 20, and 20 did not recover. 50-50, right? If you did not, get the drug, then 16 recovered, 24 did not rec uh, recover, so therefore 40% is recovery rate. You could say, oh, 50% recovery rate, 40% recovery rate, clearly this is drug verge, right? Drug verge. If you now, this is a paradox kind of thing, if you now uh, look what is actually, how the experiment was done, uh, we had uh, a split between male and female. Uh, there were significantly, uh, actually, actually here, uh, equal number of males and females. But what was uh, what is in here is this number twenty is eighteen and two is twenty. Sixteen is seven plus nine, sixteen. So this is a we just take this, but but look at how it was given to males and females. And what is different in here is the, is the proportion of uh, how many got the drug. 30% of the males got the drug, and 10%, well, 10, 30 of the four, 40, 30 got the, the uh, drug for the males, and 10 from the females. 30, 10, 10, 30. That was the difference. And if these are the numbers, and if you look exactly the same thing, how many recovered uh, here? So 
18 out of 30, 7 out of 10 recover. So 60% and 70%. 60% rather recovered based on the drug and 70% without the drug. For males, the drug does not work. For females, 2 recovered out of 10, while 9 recovered out of 30, 20% recovered on the drug and 30% recovered without the drug. Without the drug, for males, it was better. Without the drug, for females, it was better. But in here, you just thought different. So what is the problem in here is that the statistics behind the study plan was made. These classes were made imbalanced. They should have been equal for, for males and females, 30, 10, 10, 30. So there is a mistake in the study plan. And given these numbers, you can massage what they basically uh, you to think that the drugs work, while individually for males it does not work, individually for females it does not work. So this is, these are called confounding factors, so not taking into account how it was distributed between males and females, and what was the distribution of difference between the two classes. So you don't, we don't know always what are the hidden factors and what is the certification, uh, uh, original certification. Um, but but this uh, two by two table in machine learning, we ask how often we are, we predict something, how often this is really true, these are called true positives, uh, or false positive. We predict something that was not, this is false positive, not predicted, but true is false uh, negative. We miss that. Uh, not predicted, truly not. So this is true negative. So based on the same four numbers, we can actually assess how good the predictions are. Uh, they, they just have slightly different uh, naming convention in here. Exactly the same four numbers, right? All the cases covered. Where I wanted to end up is that we can start looking at different uh, formulas. Uh, what are the what are the correlations? What are the odds ratios? Uh, different coefficients, uh, interest, uh, causing uh, correlation, different scores that try to measure something interesting about the rules based on this two by two contingency table. These are symmetric. Uh, these are asymmetric. So for items at A, B, this is for A follows B, B follows A, it has different uh, uh, outcome. So you have a number of different, uh, okay, I have the, number of different uh, uh, quality scores that can, uh, well basically you can represent these based on this F1, F1, uh, zero, 01, all these numbers, uh, or uh, probability express as, as probabilities, many are just repeated. So, trying to say something by the same two by two matrix, uh, whether these are uh, relevant, interesting, etc. Um, and uh, in the homework, you're asked to, to take a couple of those, uh, generate the two by two, make, generate these. Generate these four numbers, these you can sum up, you can calculate, and try to plug in some measures and work with that, try to figure out how does it behave, 
when is it good, the value of when is it bad. And the next lecture we will continue trying to show some of the, some of the visualization of these uh, uh, different centers. They try to capture a slightly different idea behind there. What makes a rule relevant or not? Okay, we will stop it here. I can buy a beer for first three places. Uh, okay, okay. And bottle of whiskey if you win. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.